Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Loving Liberty broadcast. I want to welcome Sam Robinson from Utah Gun Exchange joining us now by telephone. Sam, I was going to ask you, how's your day going? But I know you spent some time in the dentist chair this morning, so I, I kind of have a rough idea of how it might have been. You, you doing all right, man? <laughs> a little bit numb on the left side of my face still, but uh, yeah, three hours in a dentist chair. Uh, inverted most of that time, uh, working on two crowns only to find out I need a root canal. That's kind of a status report. But the good news is things are only getting better. Okay. So you, you, are, you, Brian. you are a trooper, and I, I appreciate you coming on my show. Um, I know there's something coming up this weekend that we really want folks, particularly within the great state of Utah, to know about, and that is a rally taking place at the Utah State Capitol. Give us uh, some information on what is this rally and what is its purpose? Well, uh, there has been legislation proposed in the Utah State Legislature this session uh, that is uh, especially nefarious. We've got some red flag bills. Uh, we've got universal background checks and uh, the elimination of private transfers, um, you know, scheduled to be voted on, among others. And, and not only are we violating the uh, Second Amendment, but the Fourth Amendment, Fifth and Sixth Amendment with some of that legislation. So we're doing a pro-freedom rally uh, with a special emphasis on the Second Amendment to show a uh, unified uh, mindset on this, that we stand for the Constitution and constitutional values and in opposition to this new legislation that's been passed, so that uh, we don't find ourselves in a situation similar to Virginia. A lot of people in Virginia thought it couldn't happen there, then they find themselves in a situation where they are looking at some uh, really serious uh, you know, laws that have, that have now been passed that infringe substantially on their Second Amendment rights, and so we're trying to prevent that here. A lot of people think in Utah we're so conservative that can never happen here. Uh, that type of apathy is, is exactly what could allow that to happen here. So, again, we're doing this rally this upcoming Saturday, February the 8th, at the State Capitol on the South Steps uh, between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, for a show of unity and support for our existing Constitution and we want to keep the Second Amendment intact as well as all the, the rest of the Bill of Rights. I'll tell you, after watching what happened in Virginia, and not just you know the build-up to all the incredible tyrannical laws that uh, their lawmakers are trying to ram through, but actually the response, the, the tens of thousands of citizens and grassroots activists who showed up, um, I was very encouraged, and so I'm making no excuses. I will be there on Saturday. I'm bringing my son with me uh, because we want to lend our support. Uh, give us some of the ground rules for this kind of, of um, rally. The the one in Virginia, I feel like uh, they, they were sending a very strong message. I saw a lot of peacefully armed citizens. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the goal here, but uh, you're not going to discourage people from open carrying if they, they choose to, Correct. No, we're going to leave that upon the individuals uh, to make the decision as to whether or not they want to exercise their rights and carry in an open fashion or carry in a concealed fashion. We, of course, ask people to adhere to all laws. We were hoping for is a very peaceful uh, rally where people are prepared to engage in civil discourse, uh, not only with those that already agree with us, but especially with those who, who, who don't. And we're very encouraged not only by our rallies that we've held in the past and how peaceful they have been, but uh, with what we've seen in Virginia. I'm hearing numbers as high as 100,000 armed people came together in Richmond, Virginia, and there were no reports of any violent confrontation whatsoever. There were no reports of vandalism. And on the contrary, uh, it was overwhelmingly reported to be an unbelievably friendly and considerate and polite atmosphere it was left cleaner than it was found before those people arrived. And I think that right. speaks very highly of gun owners, and really that reflects accurately uh, the type of people that your, your average gun owner are, the people that support the Second Amendment. That's who we are. They're good people. They want to not only take care of themselves and their families, but they're actually their brother's keeper in general. And they not only do what they do for themselves, but for people next to them who may not even know who they are. Uh, they stand in the defense of 
all people, not just themselves in general. And that's a good reflection. We're hoping to see that same thing. Uh, we, we, of course, would ask that anyone, um, you know, who, you know, is thinking about bringing symbols that are misunderstood uh, to leave those at home so that it doesn't muddle the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish, because this is a pro-freedom rally for all people. We look for uh, we look forward to having all races, colors, creeds, and ages uh, at our event uh, the way that we have in the past, and they have always been peaceful, and we look forward to continuing to have them function that way. You know, I think one of the advantages, besides the obvious, um, demonstrating to the, the legislature, hey, we take this right seriously, uh, there's also the advantage that uh, you get to meet a lot of really great people. And I, I think this is more important now than ever, that those who are serious about claiming, using, and defending their right to keep and bear arms understand that they're not alone, nor are they on the margins and, and this is a great place to meet like-minded individuals who likewise take it seriously. Um, I, I'm guessing they're probably going to see it's a pretty broad cross-section of society, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a broad cross-section of society. You have <laughs> people of every, uh, of every profession there, you know, and every type of personality. People with multicolored hair to, you know, uh, very straight-laced, uh, you know, business uh, types, you know, doctors, lawyers, artists. It's just an incredible mix of people, and that's part of the fun, knowing that people can come together on a, on what is a very serious topic, because it's a matter of life and death. Um, they can come together on a very serious topic and uh, show a, uh, a series, uh, a sense of harmony or display actual harmony uh, on even such a serious topic. But, you know, the, the seriousness of that topic is that we are standing in defense of, of the defenseless. Uh, you know, if we lose the Second Amendment, we will lose the Bill of Rights, and we will lose this republic. And then, of course, we would see the types of atrocities that have happened throughout history and are happening elsewhere around the world. We don't want to see that happen. So we want to preserve what we have. And uh, please come out to the rally. Please come out, prepare to have a good time, and meet some interesting people. Some that will be like you, some that will be different, uh, but many that will share the same point of view, that we acknowledge the Constitution uh, is a wonderful thing, that it acknowledges our inalienable rights, and we want to keep Utah free, as well as the rest of the country, of course. Here, here. Um, what advice do you have for people as, as far as, as parking? I understand it, it can be kind of limited there at the state capitol. Are there any rules of thumb that folks will want to observe if they're planning on coming to this rally? Yeah, definitely uh, plan ahead in terms of time. Please plan to arrive early so that you won't run out of time. Uh, there may be inclement weather. We've already had a fair amount of snow, so that limits parking even more. You might have to walk a bit. Uh, you may want to carpool. In fact, I would encourage carpooling so that you can have uh, one person drop a group off and then go park the car and come back. Um, but please do whatever you can to allow enough time to park uh, and get to the event on time, knowing you are very likely, and you're more likely than not, to run into some challenges that would delay you. Okay. For more information, I know you've got a lot of it to, there on your website. Tell us uh, what that is and where they can find it. Yeah, and please go to utahgunexchange.com. That's utahgunexchange.com. You'll see a banner referencing a rally as soon as you hit the main page. It's right there. Go ahead and hit the Click Here button, and there will be an info sheet that is being updated as we... Uh, get closer and closer to this event that's now only two days away all right well sam i know for a fact i've got friends coming up from southern utah so i'm going to make a point to be at this rally myself and and i'm bringing friends with me i hope that uh, that others will, will take advantage of this we'll hit this hard tomorrow as well and hopefully have you know a, a record turnout saturday at 11 at the state capitol yes thank you brian i appreciate your support for uh, the Constitution, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Okay, thank you so much. Sam Robinson there from Utah Gun Exchange. Again, go to their website, utahgunexchange.com, and, and you've got the information. Um, I'll also have a link in the show notes for those who are listening to the podcast. Click on the show notes, and you'll have a link to the not only the event, but also Utah Gun Exchange. This is a pretty simple thing in terms of, you know, the investment, you know, nobody's asking you, hey, would you fly halfway across the country and, and please come and, and you know, uh, get a hotel room and, you know, <laughs> the whole nine things, the whole nine yards. It's, it's just 
for most of us who live along the Wasatch Front, you're talking maybe an hour of driving, a little bit of, uh, you know, effort involved in finding parking. The good news is there are a lot of great places to eat there in downtown Salt Lake. So, you know, if you want to make a lunch out of it afterwards, great. But come show your support and and let let those who are legislators know it's not wild-eyed, toothless fanatics out here standing up for their rights. One of the dismissals that I hear most often is, well, you know, there's just this loud, noisy minority that's, that's uh, orchestrated by the gun lobby. I don't know who the gun lobby is, but I know dang well who I am. I'm a citizen who knows his rights and who will stand up for them, and I'm encouraging you claim that same privilege, if you will, for yourself. Stand up for your rights. Show them that you're serious. All right. That felt good. We'll be back right after these messages. Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage. NMLS ID 128231. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in all states, including New York. Offer not available in Washington. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. You see it on TV every day. Global turmoil. But these international events help keep interest rates low and may even drive them lower. In response, we at Cash Call Mortgage have lowered our interest rates for the new year. And that's great news for homeowners. If you have a current rate above 2.99%, call us to see how much you can save. If you qualify, we'll even pay your closing costs. And we can close your refi in as fast as 20 days with no upfront deposit. With our low interest rates and no closing costs if you qualify, there's never been a better time to lock in a low rate before it's gone. For a free quote, go to CashCallMortgage.com or call 800-299-1364. That's 800-299-1364. If you're worried about your cholesterol, hear how others are taking charge with garlic. My doctor said my cholesterol was borderline, but I've been taking garlic and it works. I've been taking garlic for years. My pharmacist recommended garlic. He said there's an ingredient in garlic that helps maintain healthy cholesterol. I take garlic every day. No garlic breath. Lots of people like you are choosing garlic to help maintain healthy cholesterol. Garlic, it's cholesterol's natural enemy. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Use as directed. If you haven't switched to Pure Talk USA, you're probably paying too much for your cell service. Pure Talk covers 99% of the country, and plans start at just $20 per line with no contract and a one-month risk-free guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. You can even keep your phone and your number. Get 50% off your first month when you call now. Just go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code HALFOFF. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code HALFOFF. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. And we are back. Welcome to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. I've been kind of getting in the habit of uh, giving shout-outs here. And and I knew that it was becoming habit-forming when my friend Carl uh, messaged me yesterday. Hey, any shout-outs today? Carl obviously catches the uh, podcast, which is a great way to do things. I mean, really, it, it couldn't be more convenient for you. You don't have to be hovering around the radio like I picture you doing, you know. <laughs> Between between the hours of noon and, and 1 o'clock, or between 1 and 2 o'clock, I, I, I do. I picture that maybe there's this little cadre of people out there just, you know, huddled around, kind of like the resistance in France during World War II. Is today the day he speaks the phrase, well, he's, yes, the chair is against the wall. That's it. That's it. We're all supposed to go out and, I don't know, buy Brian a steak dinner, something like that. Anyway, uh, 
So I, I want to get in the habit of giving shout outs. But here's here's what I worry about. If I get more than three people listening to this show, it, it's going to become tough. And, and, and eventually, I mean, I'm an optimist. I'm going to see the point come where I'm going to have to just bust out the phone book and just start going down, uh, you know, the the list there. Okay, to uh, um, Adam Alvarado. Thank you for <laughs> for listening to the show. Boy, by the time we get to the Z's, it's, it's going to be quite a thing. Nonetheless, I'm glad you're with us. Let's talk about some substantive issues, shall we? Hey, this is a question I have for you that uh, it's it's going to sound like a really loaded question, but I want you to give some serious consideration to this. Would you stand up to an oppressive regime or would you conform? Now, I'll just confirm what you've probably already suspected. I am nuts, apparently, because uh, this is the kind of question I've asked myself, and not, not just once. I've asked myself this question over the years, going back for some time. How deeply do I believe in what I believe? How committed am I to standing up for my rights? And to some people, that's a very dangerous thing because it's kind of like, well, that sounds like kind of a militant or radical approach. But I assure you, all I'm saying is, how well do I know my rights that I would know if someone were violating them and I would refuse to play along with it? To participate in my own enslavement would be another way of putting it. And I want to believe that if push came to shove, you know, if an oppressive regime was knocking at my door or otherwise breathing down my neck, that I would have the the courage and the conviction that I would stand up even if it was costly, even if it even if it drug my name through the mud, even if people turned their backs on me. If it cost me my job, if it cost me my standing among so-called polite society and while this may just seem like okay is is this your like apocalyptic uh, mind exercise this little war game you play in your mind i'm going to suggest to you that every single one of us no matter how carefully you live your life no matter how apolitical you are how much you try to you know blend in and not stand out don't want to be the nail that sticks up and gets hammered every single one of us will face a moment of decision where we have to choose. And I don't know how it's going to come. It's not going to be the same for every person. But I am absolutely confident each of us will face a moment of truth where we either have to embrace what we know is wrong, but we do it because, well, I don't want to make waves or I don't want to you know, uh, otherwise bring attention to myself that could cost me in those ways that I've described, name-calling, reputation loss, um, you know, marginalization, or maybe you, you'll try to play it safe for as long as you can. You know it's wrong, but hey, I just don't want to make waves. I'm just going to try and ride this out and pray that, uh, that I'm not noticed when the time comes. Or there is another alternative, and that is I will stand for what I believe is right, even if it comes with risk or even significant personal cost. And I don't mind if you doubt me for saying, you know, this this moment of truth is going to come in each one of our lives. I believe it will, though, and I believe it does. And sometimes it's big things. Sometimes, you know, it's something like what you saw happen with the Bundy family here a few years ago. That was pretty public. But they definitely stood for their rights and did not just conform because, well, that's the polite way to do it. And that way, you know, everybody can like them somewhat or agree with them somewhat. They had to risk being extremely unpopular to peacefully assert their rights, and when it looked like there was no way that it was ever going to work out for them, suddenly they they emerged victorious, at least in the sense that uh, they are free individuals. I understand there are still three men sitting behind bars, and I believe unjustly so, but my point is simply this. Would you stand up to an oppressive regime, or would you conform? The sad truth is, and I'm including myself in this number, depending on the circumstances, I think most of us would conform at some point. It's just too painful. The hurt is too real or the consequences too severe for most of us to to really, you know, see it through. Looking at what the Bundys went through, I promise you, I would have knuckled under far earlier. And I really think I believe I think I, I, you know, know this stuff, you know, right to my heart. But it's scary. So I'm going to share with you in a few minutes an article. This is published on theconversation.com. And here's the scary part is scientifically, you can look at a person's personality. You can look at some of their psychological traits and make a fairly accurate 
prediction of whether they would stand up or whether they would conform. So I hope it's informative. I'm going to go to the phone here, 801-331-8113. Hello, and welcome to Loving Liberty. Is that me? That is you. Brian, my good friend, how are you doing today? Excellent. Well, good. Listen, (laughs) I don't know how we're going to do this, but... um... Well, let's just talk. Let's just talk. What's what's on your mind? Did I lose him? All right, I'm looking. Sorry, I'm checking all my connections here. Okay, Ray, I'm going to hang up. Call me again if you can. Eight zero one three three one eighty one thirteen. You know, normally there's at least some kind of electronic uh, indication that uh, you know we're we're being uh, <laughs> disconnected. Not so in this case. That was that was actually kind of strange. Let me share a couple thoughts here from this article, and you, you can tell me what you think. Uh, the author is Nick Chater, professor of behavioral science at Warwick Business School, University of Warwick. And he talks about Margaret Atwood's article, The Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale. I've never seen the show, but if you're familiar with it, it's a pretty big hit, apparently, on either HBO or Showtime. The uh, authoritarian regime of Gilead. And in this theocracy, self-preservation was the best that people could hope for because they were powerless to kick against the system. But there was a sequel called The Testaments, raising the possibility that individuals with suitable luck, bravery, and cleverness could fight back. And he asks the question, but could they? We'll get back to that in a moment. Let's try this once more. Hello, and welcome to Loving Liberty. Sorry about that, Brian. I'm in the deserts of Utah, almost to Moab. Okay. There's a very bad connections out there. Uh, how long was I on? What did I say? I just kind of faded uh, right after you said, I don't know how to do this. Now, we've got about two minutes here, Ray. Let's make them count. What's on your mind? Okay. Okay. Well, I could talk hours on this. But listen, um, have you heard of General Finn, the attorney general? that was ambushed by the Justice Department trying to get to Trump? Uh, no, actually, I don't think I have. Yeah, I mean, he, he helped. He was one of the key figures in getting um, Saddam Hussein. He is such a patriot, General Flynn. He's a true American, a oh, patriot. Oh, okay, Flynn. I, I, sorry, just, I misunderstood. Yes, yes. They, they destroyed his life, and he had to take a plea bargain so they wouldn't go after his son. And, and now they just found out that the Justice Department had exculpatory evidence that they didn't reveal that proves he's innocent. And they only did this to go after Trump. It's horrible what they did. Are oh, you still there? Yeah, I, I would agree. It's, I did see an article on this, uh, or I guess it was either last night or this morning, that uh, the case against Flynn, because of that exculpatory evidence, is now very much in doubt. But, uh, you know, where does the guy get his reputation back? Since he's already, you know, taken a plea bargain and and has already pretty much been dragged through the manure. That, well, they just don't want to get sued for twenty million dollars because they, you know, it's terrible what they did. In fact, even though I'm a taxpayer, I wish he could get he could sue him for a hundred million. The Justice Department has to pay for what they've been doing to American citizens. The trouble is, uh, the only way they're going to pay is with taxpayers confiscated from the American citizens. You know, it should come out of their pension fund or, or something like that. I don't know. Ray, I appreciate your call. When we come back, I am going to uh, share with you this article from the conversation. Would you stand up to an oppressive regime or would you conform? Here's the science. We'll get to it right after these messages. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. USA Radio News with Chris Barnes. President Trump making his first public remarks since being cleared of two articles of impeachment by the U.S. Senate yesterday. He spoke at the annual National Prayer Breakfast Trump saying that he and his family and the nation have been put through a terrible ordeal by dishonest and corrupt people. Courageous Republican politicians and leaders had the wisdom, fortitude and strength to do what everyone knows was right. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. Before beginning his remarks, he held up a USA Today edition with the giant one-word headline, Acquitted. 
This is USA Radio News. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-460-1663. That's 1-800-460-1663. Again, 1-800-460-1663. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley says he's opening an investigation into Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. Shortly after yesterday's impeachment vote, the Iowa Republican senator announced he'll seek records of Hunter's travel while he was under U.S. Secret Service protection. Grassley issued a statement with Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson saying they're continuing to investigate potential conflicts of interest on the part of Hunter Biden to boost his business ventures in Ukraine and China. Hollywood legend Kirk Douglas has passed away. He died yesterday at 103. Leonard Maltin, the film critic and historian, says Douglas did it all. He did comedy. He did action films. uh, He did high drama. He did melodrama. He played Vincent van Gogh. He played all kinds of working men, cowboys, and everything in between. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. Hold the phone calls here for just a moment because I, I want to get into this article and then we can, we can discuss this. When it comes to an oppressive regime, would you conform or would you stand up to that oppressive regime? Well, apparently there is some behavioral science that can help you figure out which way you would likely go. And I'm not trying to pick a fight here because, honestly, I think I would probably knuckle under uh, way sooner than I think I would, right? Because we see ourselves as, you know, heroic. Oh, of course, I would bravely stand up, you know, and then, wait a minute, I might get a ticket? Oh, well, screw that, man. I'm, I'm running for cover. I've, I have somewhere to be. There's, there's lunch to be eaten or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be that simple. But the question that comes up is, look, you look at all the countless examples of past and present uh, oppressive regimes in the real world. And it raises the question, why didn't people just rise up against their rulers? They outnumbered them. And sometimes we're quick to judge those who conformed to these regimes as, you know, well, because they were evil psychopaths, you know, they were all Nazis, or at least they were morally inferior to ourselves. But the article asks, what are the chances that you would be a heroic rebel in such a scenario, refusing to be complicit in maintaining or even enforcing the system? Well, the article says to answer this question, let's start by considering a now classic analysis by American organizational theorist James March and Norwegian political scientist Johan Olson. The study is from 2004. They argued that human behavior is governed by two complementary and very different logics. According to the logic of consequence, we choose our actions like a good economist, weighing up the costs and benefits of the alternative options in the light of our personal objectives. And that's basically how we get what we want. But there's also a second logic that comes into play, and that is the logic of appropriateness. And according to this, outcomes, either good or bad, are often of secondary importance. In fact, we often choose what to do by asking, what is a person like me supposed to do in a situation like this? Now, that idea is backed up by psychological research. Human social interactions depend on our tendency to conform to unwritten rules of appropriate behavior. So most of us are truthful, polite. We don't cheat when playing board games. We follow etiquette. In fact, we're happy to let judges or football referees enforce rules. A recent study shows we even conform to arbitrary norms. The logic of appropriateness is self-enforcing. We disapprove of or we ostracize or sometimes even report people who lie or cheat. 
And research has shown that even in anonymous experimental games, people will pay a monetary cost to punish other people for being uncooperative. So the logic of appropriateness is therefore crucial to understanding how we can organize ourselves into teams, companies, and entire nations. We need shared systems of rules to cooperate, and so it's easy to see how evolution might have shaped that. Now, the psychological foundations for this start very early. Kids as young as three will protest if the arbitrary rules of a game are violated. And we all know how punishing it can be to stick out in a playground by violating norms of dress, accent, or even behavior. But both logics are required to create and maintain an authoritarian regime to ensure that we make the right personal choices. An oppressive state's main tools are carrots and sticks, rewarding conformity and punishing even a hint of rebellion. But personal gain or survival alone provides a fragile foundation for an oppressive state. It's easy to see how the logic of appropriateness fits in here turning from being a force for cooperation to a mechanism for enforcing an oppressive status quo. And this logic asks that we follow the rules and make sure that others do too. Sorry, I'm thinking about the airport in this regard. Too often without needing to ask why the rules are the way they are. Regimes therefore supplement rewards and punishments with self-policed norms, rules, and conventions. So a good party comrade or member of a religious cult or terrorist group will learn that they are supposed to obey orders, root out opposition, and not question authority. And they will enforce these norms on their fellows. The authoritarian state is therefore concerned above all with preserving ideology. In other words, defining the right way to think and behave so that we can unquestioningly conform to it. Now, the article says this can certainly help explain the horrors of Nazi Germany, showing it's not, a, not primarily a matter of individual evil. As the philosopher Hannah Arendt famously argued, the atrocities of the Holocaust were made possible by normal people, manipulated into conforming to a horribly abnormal set of behavioral norms. So as to the question, would you rebel? The author asks, how would you or I fare in this fictional authoritarian regime of Gilead? We can be fairly confident that most of us would conform with more or less discomfort, finding it difficult to shake the feeling that the way things are done is the right way and the appropriate way. Just think of the fervor with which people can enforce standards of dress, prohibitions on profane language, or even dietary norms, however arbitrary these may appear. Indeed, we may feel morally bound to protect the party, nation, or religion, whatever its character. A small number of us, however, would rebel, but not primarily, I suspect, based on differences in individual moral character. Rebels, too, need to harness the logic of appropriateness. They need to find different norms and ideals shared with fellow members of the resistance or inspired by history or literature. Breaking out one set of norms requires that we have a viable alternative. That said, some people have naturally more nonconformist personalities than others, at least in periods of their lives. Whether such rebels are successful in breaking out, however, may partly depend on how convincingly they can justify to themselves and defend to others that we don't want to conform. If so, we would expect a tendency to adopt non-standard norms to be linked to verbal ability and perhaps general intelligence in individuals who actually rebel which there's some evidence to support. Now, how we react to unfairness can also affect our propensity to rebel. One study found that people who are risk-averse and easily trust others are less likely to react strongly to unfairness. While not proven in the study, it may make such individuals more likely to conform. But there's another factor, and that's social circumstances. I thought this was interesting. The upper and middle classes in Germany during the 1920s to the 1940s were almost twice as likely to join the Nazi party than those in the lower social class. So it may be that those who have the most to lose or who are keen to climb the social ladder are particularly likely to conform. And of course, if you think members of your social circle are conforming, well, then you're going to think that that's the appropriate thing to do. So the author concludes here, if you will fight Gilead after carefully weighing up the consequences, after all, the most likely outcome is failure and obliteration. What drives forward fights against an oppressive society is a rival vision, a vision of equality, liberty and justice, and a sense that these should be defended, whatever the consequences. Okay, now that brings us to a very interesting point. 
And by the way, if you'd like to weigh in on this, here's the time to do it. 801-331-8113. How do you know where that line in the sand is for you personally? And I'm suggesting maybe it's, it's going to be different for every person. My line in the sand may be considerably further forward than your line in the sand or vice versa. How do you know when it is appropriate to make that stand? And by the way, if you're thinking, well, he's going to tell us the answer. I'm not. I don't know. I can't answer for you. As I mentioned before, this, it has to be your line. You have to be the one who decides what is most important. Where would you take the risk? Where would you suffer for your beliefs? Because your conscience says, I can't go there. And that's going to depend, you know, on, on well, where is your conscience? And, and what, what do you use to inform your conscience? Now, one of the reasons I bring this up is because right now, you know, based on what I saw in the in the State of the Union and some of the stuff that followed the impeachment vote yesterday, the, look, the division in our country is just as obvious as can be. It's as obvious as the nose on your face. I'm just going to suggest, though, the fix to the problems that are, that are tearing this nation apart are not going to come from political solutions. Political solutions are not what's going to deliver us from institutionalized evil. And it's not just the Democrats. Republicans engage in this as well. If you want to be protected from institutionalized evil, that can only be done by individuals who fearlessly embrace and live up to moral truth. And if you don't know what is moral truth, well, maybe it's time to start learning. Caller, welcome to the show. Yes, sorry for calling back, Brian. You had some other callers. I guess they dropped off. But um, just quickly, I, I was a, back in the 60s, you know, I was a mindless beach bum living from moment to moment. Didn't think about world affairs or anything like that, doing nothing with my life. But the last 41 years, um, well, actually before that, but anyway, let's say the last 41 years I became religious. And I built a life using the Bible as my um, – and, and what I want to say then is that the Bible is full of timeless morals, principles, and characteristics of God – and this is how I live now. Um, you know, I could not live the Old Testament, the letter of the law, impossible. But the New Testament, the spirit of the law, this is what I try and try to try to do. And I have a good life now. I think you have, have spoken some real wisdom here, Ray. Thank you. When we come back, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, what he said about the Bible. That used to be kind of our national book, whether you believe in God or not. I mean, people would put their hand on the Bible to swear, you know, an oath. Let's talk about this the other side of these messages. With a recession ending, if you've been putting off building your business, now is the time to act. General Steel will meet or beat any price on a pre-engineered steel building of the same size and specifications. Act now before steel prices go up. So call us today for free information. Call 800-965-1290. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt, credit card debt, and I heard a commercial for Trinity. I gave them a call. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. When I first called, I was a little embarrassed and kind of ashamed, and I looked at the numbers, and I saw how quickly that astronomical debt that was in my life would go away. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. What I would tell other people, please pick up the phone and call Trinity. Just let them put together a program and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. If you're working 
worried about your cholesterol, hear how others are taking charge with garlic. My doctor said my cholesterol was borderline, but I've been taking garlic and it works. I've been taking garlic for years. My pharmacist recommended garlic. He said there's an ingredient in garlic that helps maintain healthy cholesterol. I take garlic every day. No garlic breath. Lots of people like you are choosing garlic to help maintain a healthy cholesterol. Garlic, it's cholesterol's natural enemy. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Use as directed. If you haven't switched to Pure Talk USA, you're probably paying too much for your cell service. Pure Talk covers 99% of the country, and plans start at just $20 per line with no contract and a one-month risk-free guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. You can even keep your phone and your number. Get 50% off your first month when you call now. Just go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code half off. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code half off. Trade pros. Whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a 1,000 locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit Ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. So as we went to break, uh, my friend Ray was talking about how, you know, there was a time when most people would agree that, uh, you know, there was there was an alternate source of moral authority than the state. And I, I rightly think he, you know, inciting the Bible as, as that uh, that appeal to authority, that's come on. Think about it. Even in our courtrooms, that's where people would place their hand as they raised their other hand and swore an oath to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. Right. When did that change? Why did it change? Interesting article. I'm going to link to this in the show notes. This is from Derek Dobalian on uh, LewRockwell.com today. Why the state promotes Darwinian evolution. And, uh, you know, he points out it's for, for about 100 years, the American state has been waging war on creationism and promoting evolutionism. In fact, it's uh, unconstitutional, they say, to teach creationism in the schools because, uh, well, because it uh, might imply that there is a higher power than whatever we are. But that's kind of curious, he says, considering the fact that the people who wrote the Constitution were creationists themselves. So the question presented to us is, why does the state promote evolution? Listen to his answer. He says, the answer is really quite simple. The theory of Darwinian evolution is incompatible with Christianity. And thus the promotion of evolution is simply part of the state's war on the Christian faith. Now, if you think, oh, come on, you Christians with your, your uh, you know, uh, persecution complex. Well, think about this. States have always hated anything that competes with them in regards to loyalty from the citizenry. And I would add to it not just the loyalty, but uh, which they don't like a competing moral authority. And Christians have long held that they would rather obey God than men. And that's always irritated the state. I mean, come on, think about the most totalitarian regimes that you can can think of within even the last 100 years. The Bolsheviks, you know, Pol Pot, um, who else? Chairman Mao, the Nazis. I mean, the ones who really racked up the body count, the ones who really took it to the nth degree, all outlawed religion. And I don't just mean said, hey, we discourage you from, you know, being a part of any kind of religion. But I mean, like, bulldozed the churches and, and rounded up the believers and in some cases, you know, executed them. Why? Because they did not want that competing moral authority. No coincidence, right, that uh, those, uh, those very totalitarian regimes were actually doing things that were a complete affront to traditional right and wrong. Now, throughout history, this has not been a problem for states because they were intermingled with religion and the leaders of the state were considered divine or at least very, at the very least divinely anointed. But once church and state separated, the state realized they had competition from the church and would not be all powerful as long as the church was around. And that's why the campaign to tear down religion began, particularly Christianity. 
I mean, after all, Karl Marx himself understood the significance of Darwin in his attempt to create an all-powerful state. Marx said, Darwin's work is the most important and suits my purpose in that it provides a basis in natural science for the historical class struggle. And Engels, who co-wrote the Communist Manifesto with him, said it even more clearly. There was one aspect of teleology that had yet to be demolished, and that has now been done. And this meant that the ideas of a divine purpose in nature, teleology, was destroyed by Darwin. So Derek Dobalian says the reason the state has been effective in this, uh, this arena is because it's true that if one accepts the theory of evolution, you have to reject Christianity. The two are incompatible, and thus Christians ought to reject Darwinian evolutionism. Now, he says, in order to demonstrate why the state has, to, has chosen to promote evolution so vehemently, he says, let me make a brief argument as to why it's incompatible with Christianity. One of the most basic and important principles of biblical interpretation is the concept of understanding the genre of each book of the Bible. And in order to understand what the book is trying to convey, you have to know the genre of the book. So the account of creation takes place in the book of Genesis. Thus, we must know what the, book, the genre of the book of Genesis is before we try to understand its text. So if man was not created specifically by God, but evolved from an evolutionary process, even if it was started by God, then how and when did sin enter the world? In order for evolutionary process to exist, there must be death, meaning there must have been death before mankind. But if there was death before man, then sin and death did not enter the world because of the fall of man. And if this is the case, then the concept of original sin is false and humans are not inherently sinful beings. If this is the case, Jesus Christ didn't need to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. And he says, thus we see that belief in the evolutionary process would destroy the central claims of Scripture. Pretty fascinating stuff. Maybe, uh, maybe this has crossed your mind, maybe it hasn't. Derek DeBalian says, in conclusion, the state knows that widespread adoption of evolution will lead to widespread rejection of Christianity. Thus, the theory is pushed on children in public schools, and those that reject it are mocked. And he's right. And it's not always by, you know, rabid, you know, ponytailed, you know, atheistic ACLU lawyers. It's, you know, it's people who are just, I'm smarter than the rest of you because I don't need the crutch of religion. Interesting times in which we live. All right. I got one other item here I want to share with you. This is kind of an interesting segue. Um, I don't know if caffeine is something that's part of your daily routine, but uh, I found this terrific article. This is from GreenwichTime.com. Caffeine has been a boon for civilization, Michael Pollan says, but it has come at a cost. Michael Pollan laughs and says, yes, he's on drugs while conducting this interview. Okay, he doesn't use those exact words, but acknowledges that he has a tall takeout container of half-calf coffee at his side. As we discuss via phone, his latest project simply titled Caffeine, available only as an audiobook on Audible. Pollan, the author of The Omnivore's Dilemma, The Botany of Desire, in defense of food and how to change your mind in which he's explored one comp or a complicated relationship with food, plants, drugs, and many other things we take for granted, has turned his imposing analytical skills to caffeine, the most popular mind-altering chemical on the planet. And he says, for most of us to be caffeinated to one degree or another has simply become baseline human consequences. Something like 90% of humans ingest caffeine regularly, making it the most widely used psychoactive drug in the world and the only one we routinely give to children, commonly in the form of soda. It's so pervasive that it's easy to overlook the fact that to be caffeinated is not baseline consciousness, but is in fact an altered state. All right, I'll give you a second to unclutch your pearls. <laughs> no, I look, I'm, I'm terribly guilty of this too on on. Days where I am really dragging or lagging in energy, I tell myself, I'm well, I'm, you know, doing this the smart way. I'll grab a Red Bull rather than a great big, you know, 20 ounce or 16 ounce rock star. Yeah, if I just drink, you know, eight or 12 ounces of Red Bull. See, I'm, I'm getting that caffeine boost, but I'm doing it at a lesser degree. But that's just, you know, justification. That's just me trying to justify I need something to kick my heart rate up and hopefully keep me awake. Does it bug you, though, that uh, this author, uh, Paulin, re refers to this as altered consciousness? It alters your state of consciousness. 
Now, he says after others suggested the idea, he decided to get off caffeine, cold turkey, so he could understand the stimulant's effect on human consciousness. Last year, he abstained from coffee and tea for three months. As he notes in caffeine, the experiment nearly killed his enthusiasm for the book. How can you possibly expect to write anything when you can't concentrate? wrote about his withdrawal symptoms, a state so intense that it's officially classified as a mental disorder by the American Psychiatric Association. And when he ended his caffeine fast, he promised himself to drink coffee and tea only on Saturdays. But the article says our interview was on a Monday, so what happened? He just says he lapsed. He says it was really dark. It got dark at 2.46 in the afternoon in Stockholm. So he says, uh, I just remembered that, uh, you know, people are caffeinated till then and then they switch over to alcohol and basically that's how they survive so he was jet lagged he started having some caffeine and it got him through the whole experience so just like i was explaining we justify sounds like a fascinating take i'm going to link this article in the show notes caffeine would transform the world around us in ways large and small magnificent and horrific it would stimulate and focus the mind in a way that would influence the workplace politics social relations arguably even the the uh, rhythms of english prose according to pollen but it comes with a cost he says these drugs give us something but they take something too And he says, on balance, the advantages likely exceed the disadvantages. I'm drinking coffee, and it's not just because I'm enslaved to it. I get a lot from it. I get a lot of pleasure. I'm convinced it helps me with my writing. But he says, getting off it certainly hurt his writing. So I don't know if caffeine makes you work harder, if that's good for you or not. But it definitely artificially raises our heart rate. And maybe that's something that uh, that we kind of need to weigh out. I know that if I go for a long time without caffeine, the first time I drink something caffeinated, it really does. It sets you a buzz. It's like, whoa, <laughs> it's a kick in the seat of the pants. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I can't say with, with any degree of certainty, but it does come at a cost. And for me, when, when I utilize caffeine, I do get the lift. I get that bump that I need to, you know, get me up and going for the day or to keep me going through whatever my obligated uh, rounds may be. But when it drops me, it drops me hard. And that cannot be good. Have yourself a great day. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network.